This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to the final installment of the Spring 2017 UC Santa Barbara Innovator Stories series. Um, I'm John Greathouse. You can follow me on Twitter at John Greathouse. We have Bing Chen with us today. Now, Bing is a YouTube pioneer. He's also a founder of Victorious and a co-founder, excuse me, a co-founder of Victorious and a founder of Bing Studios. As YouTube's global head of creator development and management, Bing was responsible for a multi-billion dollar organization that spanned over 50 cross-functional business units. So if you take yourself back a few years, we all know what YouTube is now. We all know and love YouTube today. Think about uh, four or five, maybe six years ago, it was completely the Wild West. The great thing about YouTube was it, user, it was user-generated content. The bad thing about YouTube was it was user-generated content. And Google knew that if they wanted to turn this into a real source of content that people would come back to over and over and over again, they had to move beyond the cute kitty videos, right? They had to encourage people that were creating great content to keep on creating great content. And they had to actually make it possible for those talented professional creators to make a living doing it. And that's the task that Bing and his team had before them. So it's easy to look back and say, well, yeah, of course that would work. Not everybody at the time thought that was a slam dunk. It, and it certainly wasn't a slam dunk. It took a tremendous amount of work and a lot of creativity to pull it off. During his tenure at YouTube, Bing co-founded and co-led a number of ventures, including the global expansion and evolution of the YouTube Partner Program. He also was head of the marquee, uh, the marquee talent incubator for YouTube called YouTube Next Up. And under his, during his tenure, more than a dozen major product releases came out uh, on the YouTube platform. Before he joined YouTube, Bing was uh, co-led Google's green energy marketing efforts. He also launched the company's digital artifacts initiative, and he was a founding member of Google's crisis response team. Now, before that, he cut his teeth at two companies that know a little bit about marketing, Walt Disney Company and Johnson & Johnson. So today, Bing is the founder of Bing Studios, and we're going to hear about his latest project. I'm super excited about it. Star Wars meets Catcher in the Rye. And you're going to learn the meaning of life. That's all. I don't want to oversell things, but Bing said he was going to give us the meaning of life on camera. That's going to be exciting. So we're going to talk a little bit about his latest um, project. And I mentioned Victorious. He was a co-founder of Victorious. Victorious raised over $50 million from top-tier VC, including Kleiner Perkins, Redpoint, Lowercase Capital, um, and a number of others. And it's consistently cited as one of the top digital media startups um, by a variety of publications. So you've already heard Bing's got two startups going. He's got this new project that we're going to hear about. Um, I want to read you a list of other organizations that he's part of. He is a huge influencer in the marketplace, and he's also giving back to the community. Just listen to some of the things he's doing. He's a World Economic Forum global shaper. He's a One Young World Ambassador. He's an Asian Chamber of Commerce Next Generation Leader. He's on the committee of 100 Next Generation um, Ambassadors. He's a member of the Streamy Awards Blue Ribbon Panel. And he's also on a number of boards, uh, including the board of, of the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment, where he's the vice chairman. He's on the A3 Foundation Board, the Buffer Film Festival Board, the Social Media Week Board, and All That Matters by Branded Asia, as well as Stream TV. I can tell you, I'm on a couple boards. That is a lot of work in and of itself. 
that's giving back, staying at the forefront um, of your industry. Bing's been recognized by a number of um, periodicals. I'll, I'll name a few. Forbes, top 30 under 30 leaders, Hollywood reporters, top 35 next generation leaders, as well as Magic Johnson's 32 under 32 innovators. So you can imagine Bing, Bing has a busy schedule. I just read you some of the things that he's involved in. He has a rigorous travel schedule. I am personally honored that he took basically a day to come up here from Los Angeles to visit us here in Santa Barbara. I'm super stoked to hear what he has to say. Let's give him a warm gaucho welcome. guys all over the world. No. Unbelievable. All emailing me is like, oh yeah, all over the world. I feel like you're like my mom now. <laughs> it's so weird to hear about yourself. Like, Isn't it? When people read know. your bio, yeah. you're like, I want to be that person. No, oh. it's like, oh, that guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually going to start with, since we're I'm talking about right? his travel and his kind of crazy schedule, yet his willingness to give back for things like this. Believe me, it's Not easy to say no to things like this and be like, eh, I'm flattered, but no thanks. Um, but well, his last it. name is Great House, so I feel like if I said no, the Illuminati would be like after me. <laughs> they would have. <laughs> as, as, as I just guessed. Yeah. So I, I want to just talk about his email response, because he is busy. He is well, you know, doing a lot of things, and I love it. I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it for you. He's like, look, I'm traveling. It's much more professional than I'm going to paraphrase, but he says, I'm traveling. I'm on the road. Um, I, you know, my response might be slow. If this is urgent, take a deep breath, because few things really are. Or, please write urgent, all caps, in the subject line, and I'll get back to you. I really thought that was, that was it's humorous, obviously, but there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. We get into this mode with email and texting and, and phone calls and whatnot where everything seems like everything seems important, important and urgent. And that's not true. Some things are urgent, but they're not that important, yeah. right? And so it actually made me think when I got that email response. And I'm like, that's brilliant. I really like that. Slow down, take a deep breath. But if it really is urgent, let me know. Yeah. Do you feel like you, this is a bit of a Zen question for you, but do you feel like you really live your life that way? Is that something you strive to do? Yeah, this will, this will sound like something a high person or an Asian person would say. Um, I have no idea what concentricity there <laughs> what is. What about a high, aper, a, high <laughs> Asian person? I have no idea what, high, what concentricity there is, I, unless you're like Stevie Oki or something. Um, all love and power to Stevie Oki. Um, uh, no, I mean, look, like, uh, how many of you, how do I phrase this? It took me a long time to get to this point, but, but you live your life as if everything matters and nothing matters at the same time, right? Uh, and I think one of the best ways that you understand this ostensibly statement is, is watching someone die before you. So who is, who is unfortunately witnessed someone else die? Wow, this is quite as actually a lot more. How many of you have witnessed a parent die? All right, all of you, by the way, will unfortunately experience that at some point. Uh, or most of you hopefully will experience that so they don't have to experience it themselves for you. But um, when you watch someone die, and unfortunately is one of the two things in life that unifies all of us, the other, of course, being that we're all born the same way, more or less for now, um, until like test you, right. cool. Right. Um, but um, you're like, oh my God, that's going to be great. No, it's not. It's going to be super f***ed up. Um, <laughs> when you watch someone die, it doesn't matter who they are or sort of their proximity to you, you suddenly pause and realize, wow. Literally, all of this will amount to nothing. A breath becomes literally air. What did you do everything for? Nothing matters at all. And I, I realized that when I was 13 when I watched my father die. And, and when you watch someone die, this is how it happens. And, and, and more or less, it's the same way for everyone unless you have some sort of unfortunately abrupt way of dying, like you're shot or, or you drown and so forth. But 
when, if you inhale and exhale, there's a few seconds in between each one, right? Everyone here is inhaling, exhaling, hopefully, for now, until, we, until you die out of boredom by the end of this. Um, but what ends up happening is four seconds become nine seconds, nine seconds become 13, 13 become 29, then 29 become none. And, and in that, effectively, minute-long period, you sit there and you're like, you know, you tried to do all these things with your life and you've done nothing. So with that in mind, everything in life has to be made into a miracle. You have to relish everything and everything matters. But at the same time, nothing can matter because you will end up just like my father did, just like everyone else does, and, and that's with air. So that, that's what that means. Um, and it's really, you know, to sound like a parent and a high person, it's really important to be level-headed in general because uh, very few things matter uh, to the extent, you know, freaking out. That's heavy. I was going to ask you that question last. Can we recut? Yeah, was that weird to do first? We're going to do that. But I just, but because I was talking about your extensive travel, that's very heavy. And I did hide my mic when you mentioned the Illuminati, so that's why I've had to put it back Fair on. Fair enough. I understand. Um, I'm in the Freemasons. No, even. <laughs> Freemasons. That's our competition. Um, no, I, 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 I did see my father die. And for years after that, uh, I couldn't watch a dramatic rendering of how people die. It's for a lot of reasons, emotional, but, it's, but it, once you've seen it, it's not like in the movies. kind of wish it was, right? People don't just peacefully kind of smile yeah. and, and chill, close their eyes. It's not that easy. Um, but I do think it's a, it was, for me, it was a hugely, I think, um, I mean, one of the most important moments and hours of my life. I was very fortunate that my sister works with the elderly and actually walks them to that path of death, literally. So to have that in your family while you're going through that was such a calming element. I believe that. She knew, like, all the, you know, okay, this is, you know, she just knew what was going to happen. She was whispering in my dad's ear Mm -hmm. and the whole thing. So I think I got a very muted version of what it could have been. You got the good version. Yeah. The good version. I saw a professional version version of of it. But even that was just, you know, it really makes you think. And I mean, if it doesn't, there's something, I think, missing in your soul. about it, right? Like, I mean, especially in the West, and I'm, I'm not saying this like a high Asian person, but I'm not high, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm saying third person, royal high. Um, no, but like, we're so, in the West, we're so bad about thinking about death. It's so taboo. We don't thoughtfully approach the industry. How many of you, again, have seen someone die? How many of you have been to a funeral? Funerals, so, there you go. Funerals suck. Like, if you want to make something sad, sadder, you give it a funeral right it's like a like let's watch someone die open casket not talk to anyone cry play the worst boys to man music and by the way you will be dressed in all black and everyone will stare if you're not like it sucks right and 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 the reason this matters is because not only does everyone die but for the first time in recent history we're about to approach the largest influx of natural deaths Again, in memorable history, right? Like 2016 did not take Carrie Fisher and Prince, which I don't think anyone here actually knows who either of those people are because they're too old, but like mortality took them. That's the way math works. They're both baby boomers. And so, and there are 80 million of them in this country alone. So we're, we're being forced to reconcile these things. You're lucky you have, and we're lucky that we have someone like your sister yep. uh, to thoughtfully process these things. But um, this is not what we expected to talk about first. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about like digital media my cats in a second. I just, I'm going to go on, riff on it for one more yeah, minute yeah, of and then we'll talk about it. We can it. talk about it, whatever's valuable to y'all. And like, I don't want to suck, but I guess you have to be I, here. This is important. No, this is important stuff. Do you, is, that a, is that a topic that you, now that you have a platform yeah. with being studios, yeah. is that a topic that you think that you'll approach at some point in a yeah. much more realistic yeah. fashion? So we are. Um, so, so let's take a step back. Um, actually, here, let me make, give you one piece of unsolicited advice, and then we'll talk about this question. So, so as a, how many of you are 18 to 22? All of you? All right, I'm just going to embarrass. Who's not 18 to 22? Who's like the precocious 17-year-old? How old are you? You had your hand up. 
Are, are you 17? No, no, there's a guy in the back. I just All right. Is, are some of you older than 22? Yes. I'm barely over 22. That's, that's all good. <laughs> we stop counting after 30. It's all good. Um, all right. So, um, so as an 18, 22-year-old, I'm not going to be like I understand you because no one understands anyone. But, um, but when you freak out and you feel like there's like catastrophic, the piece of advice I always gave myself, which is what my mother taught me when my father passed away, was if it doesn't matter in five years, it doesn't matter now. Uh-huh. And, and the reason this is so salient is because you will tell yourself that a lot of matters. You break up with someone, you get an F, you yep. blah, 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 right? Right, right? The reality is very, very, very few things matter in five years. In fact, I've yet, and, and I've seen a lot of people die, unfortunately, and been through a lot of breakups, unfortunately. I, I've yet to have something happen to me that mattered in five years. Um, and so, again, if, like you, if you're someone who like, hyperventilates over or you're high or whatever, um, just remember, if it doesn't matter, I'm sorry, I know weed's not even cool anymore. Um, if it doesn't matter in five years, it doesn't matter. It's not. The second the government legalizes um, this is being recorded, right? Um, anyway, all right. So to, so to answer, to answer, who the f- cares? Um, so to answer, if the president can say, shit, I can say. Shit. Um, so, um, and at least my shit is based in science. Um, in fact, um, sorry, that was not a thoughtful jab. Um, John, to answer your question about death, so I think about death a lot. Um, I think whether you know it consciously or not, all of you are thinking about death because it is your deadline to achieve something in this life. Um, and, and to take a step back, I, I think when, when my father passed away when I was 13, we had just moved from Shanghai, which is in China, uh, to Orange County, which is in hell. And, um, <laughs> and uh, how many of you are from the OC or SoCal? How many of you like the OC in SoCal? Exactly. See, a lot of hands went down. So so to to illuminate all of you, the OC and SoCal are known for being shallow, a different type of silicon, and uh, and just being generally a very challenging place to grow up. People are laughing out of pain. It's okay if you went for that route, by the way. I mean that sincerely. We can talk about beauty in a second. Um, But but it's a a cultural antipodal. Plus my father passed away, plus my grandfather passed away, plus all this other happen and you have hormones because you're going through puberty so like you freak out over everything and I became clinically depressed because that's what happens when you're highly ambitious and you're in a new sort of cultural context Uh, and for those of you who are wondering I actually went to a doctor and got clinically diagnosed this is not like a a self YouTube thing um, (laughs) because YouTube didn't exist back then Um, but but anyway the the reason I mention that is when when you're taking to that depth you start to of course question why you exist and if you take a step back the single greatest human need as corroborated by every single philosopher you can imagine, Aristotle, all the way to Ptolemy, all the way to Elon Musk, um, the single greatest human challenge is figuring out why you are here, right? It's like, why do I exist? What is the meaning of life, right? And, um, and a, a lesser school uh, 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 with the largest longitudinal study in history corroborated that effectively as human beings, we all just want one of two things. You want to have impact, you want to do something that matters, and you want strong familial relationships, right? Um, the challenge with both of these, of course, is they manifest themselves in a variety of ways, right? What the f- is impact? It could mean just being the first person here, uh, in your family to go to college or graduate, right? It could mean taking humanity to Mars because you think global warming is real. Um, it, it's real. <laughs> wow, this, this is going to be a very tough crowd. Um, uh, someone in the back's like, it was not real. Um, uh, anyway, but, but you get the idea, right? We all want our own form of impact. Familiar relationships, too, is a little bit tough because not everyone wants to get married to someone. Some of you are more progressive and, and enjoy spreading your love to many people, right? Some of, which is great, by the way. You enjoy your polysexuality, right? Um, or polyamory, whatever you tell yourself it is. Um, some of you only want children, like my mother, and only married someone to have children. That's okay, too, 
right? But effectively, we all want some permutation of those two things. Um, now, as we all know, it's very challenging to figure out why you exist here. How many of you are dead certain you know what you were meant to do in life? Raise your hand. Someone. Someone clearly does, or they're getting called from God. Um, <laughs> whatever God is, wherever she is. Um, so no one here knows, right? And that's the honest answer, because none of us really ever know, right? And, and, not, and A, not only is this the single greatest perennial need, but because our parents are all dying, because the economy is about to uh, contract again, meaning you are about to approach a recession, sorry for those of you graduating, um, you are going to increasingly start questioning why you exist. And because this is the single greatest human need, and because I feel like it's especially prescient now, given all the confounding factors, our studio is trying to tackle this in a creative way. Um, now, we all know the fallacy of content, and we'll talk more practically about that in a moment. But the reason we have to begin with content is you have to see something before you believe it, and you have to believe in something before it's institutionalized. Uh, I'll use our latest great uh, president as an example. There is a man of the African diaspora, and indeed it was a man in this case, uh, who uh, was president on film and TV, bless you, before we saw one in the Oval Office, right? Seeing is believing, believing is institutionalizing, right? That's why the arts matter, because you have to paint a picture for people before they realize it can exist. Um, and so we were trying to paint a picture of what it could be like if everyone could figure their shit out faster uh, before it's too late. Um, is this helpful or does this suck? We can go to more practical stuff, too. Sorry? Okay, all right. I don't know who else talked. All I saw is like, there's like Mark's sister and there's Eva. Both of them are great, but they're also like VCs, which is very different from me. Um, I don't know. All right. If this sucks, you like tell me and then we can like. No, no, no. We're getting a lot out of this. So I, I, I want to promote Bing's blog as well. Um, I don't do that. No, no. I'm promoting it because I think they're going to get a lot out of it. I, I really oh. liked, and I think I'm stealing this from the students. I apologize if this was your question. I really liked um, the number one reason we break up. Um, and I was actually, I'm not breaking it up, honey. I'm not breaking it up. I'm happily married. <laughs> Got to get that on film. But I actually have a friendship that's looking a little rocky right now. And what you said in that blog was essentially what I think part of like why, you know, we're having a little bit of issues is really good, close friends. It's a little bit of that you want, it's, it's that person's not being who you want them to be. And, you know, how fair is that, right? Like you can't make somebody be who you want them to be. But just reading that, I was like, Hmm, I think I can relate to this specifically in something that happened this week. So anyway, check out, um, check out Bing's blog. It's, it's, it's very, very good. For the record, my blog only exists for me to like, categorize like cool but if you find value in it, great. But it's not for you. <laughs> so if it sucks, then you know why it's not for you. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about your blogging. You're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm going to take you back, and I'm sure you've gotten this question before, but I haven't heard the answer. You went to a great school. You majored in English Lit. Useless. <laughs> I'll explain, I'll explain. Explain. So point, so connect the dots with Johnson & Johnson, Walt Disney, and why, when you were, before you get to those two companies, you're sitting in a room like this, or you're watching this all over the world, uh, what were you thinking, like, as you were getting ready to graduate? Yeah. Um, so I, I think, going back, again, I, I apologize for sounding like a high hippie or whatever, um, this, the single most important question you can explore for yourself while you're in college is why you are here. And I don't mean why are you here like, oh, I want to be like a consultant after I graduate because I've dreamed of that since I was five. No, you didn't. No five-year-old knows a consultant, right? The single question is like philosophically, why do you exist and what are you, what are you placed on this earth for? And since I was a kid, partly because I had like a, a somewhat like childbearing because I think we all have um, some version of, of this, um, is I want to just help emotionally elevate people so they could figure out why they existed faster. That, that is that I will live for that. I will die for that. That's why I'm here. 
And, and I extrapolated that as much as a, a naive 10-year-old could of, well, who has manifested that more successfully than anyone else? And the answers were Walt Disney and Oprah. So when I was 10, I wanted to be the next Walt Disney Oprah, minus the anti-Semitism and all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, but so that, that informed why I went to UPenn um, and informed a bunch of things. And um, the, the reason I majored in English, and, and I, was, I was obviously being facetious when I said it was useless. It was actually the best thing I could have done academically. Um, the reason I did it was a couplefold. Number one is, in college, you have to identify how you think, right? Um, I had the option of going to War- the Wharton School, which debatably is the best undergraduate business school in the world, um, and, and decided not to. And, and the reason why is because how can you compartmentalize your thinking into a box? Because, by the way, finance is a box. Right? It's a very practical skill. How can you put yourself in a box when you don't even know what you're putting in the box? It doesn't make any sense. Right? And so instead, I was like, all right, well, how do you like, free your mind a little bit first, and then you can sway your mind in a proper way? And my mind moved in the way that the liberal arts did, specifically in English philosophy and classical studies, which is why I sound like a high person half the time. So um, that was a joke. I'm not high all the time. Um, so ever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, so I chose it because that's what spoke to me. And if you think about it, um, and, and I'm obviously like self-justifying why I did this, but um, if you think about it, the liberal arts are especially critical right now because you do not create something new from something that is pragmatic and something that's established. New things emerge from abstraction, right? This is how the iPod was created. This is how all sorts of new innovations are made. And that largely comes from liberal arts because the goal of liberal arts, like English, is to take something that's abstract and useless like a poem and suddenly synthesize it with other things that make it valuable, right? That's the point of the liberal arts. Um, so that's number one reason I chose it. Second reason, it was really easy. It was nine classes. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to do it because I, I was aggressively passionate about taking other classes like psychology and marketing and, mm. and, and operations and so forth. Uh, and then the third reason, and this is, this is not great reasoning, but I looked at all of my heroes from my university. Steve Wynn, Hotels, Resorts, and Casinos. Rich Ross, Chairman of Disney. Stacey Snyder, Chairperson of DreamWorks, now Chairwoman uh, of um, uh, 20th Century Fox. All of them majored in English. And I looked at them and I was like, well, that, sounds, that doesn't make any sense, right? What, what does an English major have? Do, what, what business do they have running a multi-billion dollar business? Or, or in Steve Wynn's case, forging a multi-billion dollar business. Um, and so I, I just followed sort of that path. Um, Johnson Johnson was, was actually an internship. I only did it because I had a crush uh, on the girl who did it. Uh, whatever. Um, uh, uh, so that's that. Uh, I did Disney because if you want to be Walt Disney, then you go to Disney. Um, so I, I did two things there just very quickly. I worked at ABC Studios during the last Renaissance phase when Lost, Desperate Housewives, Grey's Anatomy, and so forth were taking off. Uh, I was a servant. Uh, I can make copies faster than anyone in the world. Uh, it's great. Uh, but I also grew, uh, sort of accumulated a great appreciation for how the traditional system works. Um, the second summer was, was even greater. Uh, I worked in creative development and feature films at the Walt Disney Company. Uh, my last project was a project that became a film called Frozen um, that, uh, that really, I think, cemented the, the sort of new renaissance for the Disney Animation Studios group. Uh, back then, it was called The Snow Queen. Um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, so that's what I did. So you got to see a world that most of the students in here and people watching you know, that are younger wouldn't see. That was sort of that older world, as you said, that were lost. And even that was a new world at the time because yeah. that was coming off of the weekly series that ended every week. Right? Do you all know what Lost and Desperate is? this too old? It might be too old. Some of you? All right. Some of you should not have been watching that when you were younger. <laughs> uh, anyway. So you ended up at Google. Did you go for that green, uh, the green global energy? And that's so hard to say, by the way. I know. Did you go all for that reason? Or? so inflated. And they're such yeah. Was that what recruited you there? Or what, how Whoa. did you end up? Uh, I'm, you're gonna, don't hate me for this. All right. Um, so I went to Google because of YouTube. I hate you. 
No, I'm kidding. That's right. A lot of people hate me. It's all good. Um, so you've never done something great unless you have haters. Um, so we'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, no, so the re- I chose YouTube because I tried to extrapolate as much as a 22 or 21-year-old at the time could. Uh, what is the 21st century articulation of the media conglomerate? Because I knew I would make my own Disney one day, but step one is I wanted to learn and get the network and so forth. So I had two options when I was graduating. One is I could go write, direct, act, produce, and starve. Or B, is I could take the more conservative practical route and get the network, learn how to build the system. Because you need both sides to be Walt Disney, right? People forget Disney is not just a storytelling company, it's a franchise builder, right? Uh, and I chose the latter. Um, I chose the latter because it was honestly more conservative. Uh, Google had a lot of cool perks, which nowadays people take for granted. Um, but uh, I was in Google's executive management program. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll show off to you for a moment because I want to impress upon this point of why liberal arts matter. Uh, I was the only person from the University of Pennsylvania, which is a very pre-professional school. Like, you're not pursuing banking or consulting. You're f- um, and, and I was the only person to get an offer in Google's executive management program as an English major, which everyone thought was a mistake. So, again, I'm sure many of you already know this and have experienced it, but your major has very little correlation to what you do professionally Amen. on paper. Right? It's just more like what you think and so forth. Right? Yep. And can you deliver? Yep. And are you not now? Um, and so, uh, we'll talk about that too, that is important. Um, so anyway, so, so, the, so this program, like, we, we all joke, we all joke that uh, we are convinced that they put you in the program the first year in a place you did not want to be, like the, uh, the anti-podal. Right, and so right. this is what I was alluding to, like, don't hate me for this. I'm not saying I don't care about green energy and natural disasters, they're all very important, but it's not what sets my soul on fire, right? Like, we're all, we're all different. I'm, I'm not saying Desperate Housewives sets my soul on fire either, but entertainment is, is where my heart lies, right? Because uh, it's about elevated emotions. And so I was very vocal about that. Um, the from Harvard was very vocal that he wanted to do other things as well. Uh, the dendrophiliac from Brown was also very vocal that she wanted to go into basically what I ended up getting. Uh, and we basically all got what, exactly what we didn't want, um, which I know is a privileged thing to say because we were at Google nonetheless. Um, so I went into the, the Google.org philanthropic arm, very grateful for it. I learned a lot. We did a lot of great work. Uh, and then after that, dilly-dallying, it was, it was time to go to the proper thing. So that was my second area. Uh, going to so were you, were you doing the crisis response team at the same time? Uh, yeah, that was my first year. So the crisis response, the, the shore was uh, during the Haiti earthquake uh, on January 10th. Um, it, was a, it was a morning, I remember, Pacific time. Um, Prem Ramaswamy, who ended up heading up the product team for it, and I were G-chatting. Do you guys still use G-chat? So G-chatting is like Snapchat, except uh, <laughs> it's on a desktop and it doesn't disappear. All right. Um, and it's green. Instead of yeller. Uh, all right, so anyway, so we were on Cheat Chat and we we're like, whoa, dude, this is crazy. Did you see what happened in Haiti? Like, there's an earthquake. Whoa. Um, and, uh, and we basically decided, like, we have to do something. We have no idea what it is. And, and long story short, um, and a guy named Ping, not to be confused with Bing, but he is also Asian. Um, uh, basically over 72 hours constructed what we call Person Finder, which is now the official back-end person locator, victim locator for the United Nations. You should have called it Bing Ping. Yeah, I'm like not self, even though I'm loud, I'm not self-aggrandizing. Okay, ping bing. Ping bing works. Ping bing works. Anyway. Well, when we rewrite your bio, we're going to elevate that because that was a, that was a a nice cause as well as. We're we're proud of that. Yeah. 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 So, but you, but you made it over there to the area that you wanted to be. And that was like, you were sitting in the primo catbird seat, dude. You were like the guy in LA with the money trying to pull together (laughs) all this well that was the perception right with trying to pull together this this whole youtube thing yeah it was cool do you want to tell us a little bit i got to get to a student question here in a minute but oh yeah am i talking too long no 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 no, okay all right good i got one shake of a head everyone else is like please hurry up (laughs) um 
<laughs> beer to drink. So and how pong to play? <laughs> um, so how wild west? How wild west was that? I mean, I, yeah. I I was in the periphery. We we I was an investor in one of these MCNs. Nice. Which of, one? It was. Um, no, I'm going to be embarrassed. Um, Whisper it. Sarah. Sarah's Sarah Pennant? Yes. Oh, I love Sarah Pennant. I just talked to her last week. Yeah, she's and she actually big spoke. Frame. She's big frame. Yeah, yeah thank you. I love Sarah. She actually okay. spoke uh, here. It was wonderful. Oh, that's and amazing. she brought her wonderful husband with her. Oh, Joe's the best. Yeah. They're in yeah. Iceland at Reykjavik right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, friends, small worlds. All right. <laughs> Do you guys know who Joe Pennant is? A mystery guitar man. Joe Pennant is a great filmmaker. Uh, he's about to make his first proper Very talented. film. Yeah. The uh, I'm so embarrassed to say this. The bad guy from Doctor Strange is in his film. Casilius, whatever his real name is. No one knows who that is. The guy's legit. Um, anyway. I, I wrote a Forbes article years ago where I said, this guy, if you haven't heard of him yet, you will. This guy's going to be a star. He's talented. I he, said it first. He's real deal. Yeah. yeah. He's very talented. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. They're a power couple. Um, sorry, that was like a non-inclusive conversation. Uh, so, um, <laughs> Welcome so, back. So, all right, so, wait, so, so raise, raise your hand. if you, I can go through like, the, the, the gossipy part of the story. We can do like, the, pra- the practical side of how we built the ecosystem. If you want like the gossipy personal story, raise your hand. Otherwise, I'm going to over-index on the business thing. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll be swift with this. So, so the net-net is, as with all things, it's partly talent and how well do you deliver, but it's also largely timing and zeitgeist. So I got into YouTube in 2010 when YouTube was total. There are all these lawsuits. Like Viacom yeah, just ended. Right. It was a billion dollars. People were like, YouTube. It's all garbage. And, and I got in there, and I thought with two others, Margaret Healy and Chris Hamilton, who, who were effectively my bosses uh, and really took me under their wing, we sat there and we were like, YouTube has done a good job of de- democratizing distribution, which all of you take for granted now. Yep. Um, but the real God power, how many of you by show of hands are religious or spiritual? That's very millennial of you. Yeah, so very few of you. All right, so lesson. Um, the single greatest distinction of God is creation. Can you create something from nothing? That's the God power. Now, obviously, God has a lot of other powers if you believe in God. But, but the principal power is the creation power. And so we thought, not that we are God. We'll get smited for that. But, but the idea was, how do you democratize creation? Because if you can do that, then that suddenly means that every voice that deserves to be heard can suddenly be heard, monetized, exploited, and so forth in clever ways. And so the principle of, cre- of globalizing and formalizing the creator services at YouTube was, how do we democratize creation? And one of the first inputs that really instigated this, and I don't want to sound like the person of color who feels like he has to talk about people of color uh, or minorities at large, but um, I looked at all the data across uh, the really 10 biggest content categories at YouTube, and we noticed that Asians, people of the African diaspora, and the LGBTQ community were over-indexing in almost every single category. And this was strange, because you all take this for granted, but in 2010, there were really no shows where any of those three groups were over-indexing. There was no blackish, there was no fresh off the boat, there was no Dr. Ken, there's None of that, right? And so we thought, wow, this is a clever opportunity where those who are mis- or underrepresented have a real opportunity to broadcast their voice to the world and make a viable living. Um, and then we start, and then we created a 100-page deck. It was called The Walt Disney Company in 2010 because it was totally self-serving. Um, and I can go through practically how we thought about engineering the system because it was very deliberate. Um, and uh, we had 10 ideas in there, everything from a studio system to global monetization, which is the partner program, to a town incubator, to a gold award system and award show. Uh, and we built everything within two and a half years. Um, and uh, you fast forward to really 2014, um, so four years later, uh, and the ecosystem became a multi-billion dollar ecosystem. It is reimagined Hollywood. Uh, it's where this new notion of celebrity or influencer is really propagated. Yep. Um, and, uh, and it was on the backs of several you know, really, really talented people, both in front and behind the platform. 
I mean, you can go back and look at the articles. People were saying Google's crazy. This was the biggest. This yeah. is going to be the biggest mistake they ever made. Yeah. They bought a bunch of lawsuits. What were they thinking? I was told that too. Like, I won't name names because most of the people are still there. But there were a lot of on. So back then, like YouTube was YouTube. Was, sorry, that was a general statement. There everywhere. Um, the, YouTube was really bifurcated into two entities. There are, there are those of us who believe in the democratization of, of, of the creation of content and wanted to elevate everybody. And then there are the others who wanted to basically like suck the proverbial of the traditional media system. And, uh, and, and that, no, it's, it's true. Um, how many of you are in entertainment? I thought you were going to ask him something else. But... Oh. <laughs> how many of you enjoy third base? No. Um, Sorry, this is, this I, is still being recorded, sorry. right? Yeah. Sure. All right. Um, they turned the cameras off. We're done. That's fine. <laughs> Who cares? Um, so, so, so the idea was all the budget and money was in the latter because YouTube wanted to be Netflix, HBO, and so forth, right? You invest in a lot of premium content, as it were, whatever that even means. And two is then you invest in original on top as a Trojan horse, right? Uh, and or depending on who you are, uh, you leverage the library as Trojan horse to the originals. Um, and again, I just didn't think that was very interesting. And so we were told, basically, if we were even talked to by that side, uh, you guys enjoy your like cute little people, right? And go do your thing. Uh, I was given $2 million my first year, which I know some of you sounds like a lot of money. At Google, with Google level money, that means you are not important. Right. It means right. your is literally bond the totem pole. Um, and we made magic from that, right? And, and it worked. Um, so yeah, so we definitely were told we didn't matter. Let's take the first student's question. Hi, so you Hi. have a pretty cool blog and Instagram. Um, do you find it? <laughs> I really don't. I'm not trying to like be like falsely modest. I think my sucks, but thank you. Um, uh, so do you find it beneficial to include this on your LinkedIn? And does this, I'm like reluctant to say this, but do I need to step up my social media persona? Do I put those things on my LinkedIn? Yeah. I did? It shows how much I care about LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> look, all right, as with all things in life, you should do what you want to do and like everyone else. So, so in my world, I mean, or in our collective world, I should say in the digital media world, yep. your LinkedIn life, your Instagram life, your Snapchat life, your Twitter life, your work life, your conference life, and so forth are all the same. So, so I have to be everywhere, and that's just the way it works, which is why I'm there. Uh, I find the utility is it's obviously a great communication outlet, and it's also very validating. So if I want to get in touch with anyone, I should like, use my Twitter handle. I'm sure you guys all know this. I know I, know I sound like an old person saying this, but old people still use Twitter to communicate, um, especially in like, the influencer sphere. Um, so I use, it, I use it to that extent. Uh, my answer to you would be, as with most things, like, figure out like, why you even want them. right? Like, why, what are you trying to say? Whom are you trying to target? And then where is that whom? If that whom is on Instagram, by all means, have an Instagram. Presence, but if they're not, then don't waste your time, right? Um, I mean, one, one of the best examples of this is, is the artist Banksy, who, who, you know, some people still don't know, but it's like this British dude or, or collective of, of, of largely dudes, right? Uh, and Banksy, like, kind of has a social media presence, but, like, really doesn't have a social media presence, and yet everyone talks about Banksy, right? Um, so, so, again, it's, it's more figuring out, like, what are you trying to say, how are you trying to say it, and to whom, and where are they? Well, I can get a couple in a row here because I'll get going again and we won't get back. Yeah, you have had a lot of impressive jobs. Have you been actively focusing on networking through your career? Networking. That's when you actually, oh, no. <laughs> That's when you suck the proverbial traditional <laughs> media. Uh, no. <laughs> look, if you want to sleep your way to the top, more power to you. There's no shame in it. Do what you need to do. Um, I mean that sincerely, like, you know, teach their own. Um, uh, I, so I do you proactive? So yeah. we we were. The clearly no. We uh, were connected though through networking in the sense of oh. 
mutual friend yeah, yeah, yeah. said, if you want, you know, Bing is awesome. You should try to get him in front of your students. And that was... <laughs> and now you regret it. Yeah, now uh, I'm like, uh, turn the cameras off. No, but I, that, I, I look at it that way. It's, yeah. it's hanging out with people you want to hang out with, not uh, just trying to climb some corporate ladder. Oh, uh, yes, yes. That makes sense. I, I guess uh, that's helpful. So I guess I'll answer it in two ways. So one is um, when, I was, when I was your age, when I was younger, um, I, I like every like try hard was like, all right, I'm going to have a spreadsheet of 100 names. I'm going to categorize them into five categories. I'm going to meet all these people because I should never eat alone because that book that everyone hates, <laughs> that I should, right? I mean, I'm sure some of you actually do this, right? Um, and at some point, it just got exhausting because I'd be in those like, meetings and be like, I don't know why I'm here. Right, I don't know why I'm right, talking to you right now. Right. This is useless for both of us, right? And, and you only get one shot at a first impression. And so I think the way I operate today, uh, which is much freer, is um, uh, I only meet with people that I feel like I need to meet with. And I call them. And most of the time, I, I, I feel lucky enough that most people nowadays do call me um, if, they, if they need something. Like, I just had, like, lunch with Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, which was cool um, uh, and interesting. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think the way I would approach networking is a couplefold. One is figure out why you're trying to meet with another human being and remember no matter who they are, whether they're elevated above you or beneath you, that everyone is a human being and deserves some semblance of time, right? Um, uh, I, I, I do this sometimes, but I still contact people that I have no business talking to or being in a room with. Um, I, I won't name them, but the people who are very esteemed, who have a lot more money than, than perhaps I ever will. Um, so that's number one. Like, just feel confident in doing it. I think the second thing is, as with all things, networking fundamentally is about trust and is about sort of forging a, a meaningful relationship. It's not about transacting. And, uh, and the easiest way, of course, you can turn someone off immediately is if you ask them for a favor, especially from a new friend. Right. And so the best form of networking is you actually provide value for quite a bit of time, and then you sort of pull a favor later. Um, this is partly, I was born and raised in Tennessee, uh, which is part of the country that voted for Trump. Um, but... Uh, uh, which is also where Al Gore's from, though, and Justin Timberlake, so we're all right. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, like, in Tennessee, like, you, you help your neighbor because you help your neighbor because we're all in this together. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's, that that's sort of just, like, that's sort of the, the ethos of how I operate. Um, the other thing I'd say is, um, uh, and, and how do I say this without sounding like um, I feel like I've earned my place to only spend time with the people I care about. Um, I, I used to feel guilty, and I, I, mean, I haven't even hit this level of success I, I dream about in one at all. So I, I'm not saying this like, you know, I, I, like, like, you know, well, look at me, you know. Um, but uh, I used to feel compelled to talk to everyone because I felt like I owed them something. Uh, and, and like everyone deserved my time and my thoughts, et cetera, when really I think they just wanted something ulterior. And, uh, and you have to realize the, the only universal currency that we have as a species is our time. It's the only thing that we really give away and we'll never get back. And, uh, and I feel like I've earned my right, not because of my work or whatever, just mentally, I feel like I've earned my right to only spend time with people who I find genuinely good human beings or I find valuable in some transactional way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm very targeted with who I meet with nowadays. Uh, and, and again, I hope that I, did, I don't sound like because I hope you all do the same thing. Uh, I'm sure, raise your hand if you spend time with people you can't stand. Most of you, should, yeah, exactly. Why the f- are you doing that? Because you feel like you have to, right? Like you don't want to hurt people's feelings. Like it's in a bigger group. You have no control. You have to get rid of that quickly, right? Get rid of it real, real quickly. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. I'd give you more practical advice on networking. All right, I'll give you more practical advice on networking since we're like in a business program. All right. Number one rule of networking, time is of the essence, right? People, you may think that they have all the time in the world for you. They don't because you are not special, right? Nor am I, nor is John. No one is special. So when you email anyone out of the blue, you ask for 10 minutes of their time. Why? Because everyone can give away 10 minutes. Don't ask for half an hour. Don't ask for coffee. Don't ask for lunch. 10 minutes, right? Because they will feel like an 
They say no. Number two, you leave it open as to how you communicate with them. So don't tell them, like, I'll come to your office, or it'll be a phone call, or it'll be lunch. Don't tell them that. Just say, I look forward to chatting, and put it on them, right? And then when they follow up with you, say, I'm happy to come to you, whenever, wherever, right? They will usually not say no, right? And then three is, you never, ever, ever, ever ask for favors when you first meet someone, except for their advice, if you ask for jobs and so forth, you are shut out forever. And not just from them, but from their extended network. So the first thing you do is you ask them for their guidance and wisdom. And then if you can find a way to give them value as well, whether yeah. it's new knowledge or articles, et cetera, you do that immediately too. Okay? Now, after that, there's a lot of like, business books that will be like, oh, every month you should like, send another article. Or like, every quarter you should be like, I was thinking about you. That's is exhausting. No one has time for that. There's no spreadsheet that can maintain that. I've tried. Trust <laughs> me. Right? It sucks. And it also feels really disingenuous. Right. So I found like the most meaningful thing to do here is, A, when you think of someone, even if it's a small thing, and it's in your gut, and it's not rational, you email them, or you contact them. Because at the end of the day, people want another human being. They don't want another leech. Right? Uh, let me say this another way. Um, so I, I got kicked in the uh, one of the first times I emailed someone out of the blue was Rich Ross, uh, who at the time was chairman of Disney Channel. Uh, he created and discovered uh, Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana, the, the Jonas Brothers, High School Musical. This is all probably too old for all of you. No, you know? they know all that. You know all this? Okay. All right. He, he pioneered that, right? Uh, and then became chairman of uh, Walt Disney and now CEO of Discovery. Um, so uh, my first meeting with him, um, uh, which was a 10-minute coffee in his office that I flew to Birdbank for, um, uh, I sat there and he was like, how is life? And as with all tryhards who are 19 years old, <laughs> I listed out my resume and how great I was and how meaningful my student government work was to get like Jamba Juice in our cafeteria and why this is going to change the world, right? Um, because your world is very small when you're tiny, right? And so uh, he stopped me. I'll never forget this. I'm very grateful for it. He stopped me immediately. He's like, Bing, do you know what your problem is? And I was like, I didn't shower this morning. He knows, right? and, and he was like, because sometimes we'll be oh. And, and, and he goes, you try too hard to be impressive and not hard enough to be well-liked. Uh. And especially in Hollywood and especially in tech, and by the way, especially in this world, people want someone they can like before someone they can respect. Because by the way, the fact that I was even in the room means I was respectable enough because I was in the room. right? And, and I think just to extra- extrapolate that a little bit, um, I think a lot of us try really hard to be impressive, but there are very subtle ways that you can be impressive, right? It's almost like the most impressive people don't need to read you their resume, right? Um, they can instead just demonstrate through their eloquence or through their, their knowledge or their compassion how, how impressive they are, right? Instead, your goal as a human being should be to be memorable. So I'll give you, I'll give you one story and then one factoid about this. Uh, is this annoying or is this useful? Oh, is that right? All right. We're doing a little better. All right. Um, so so you, you all know who Dr. Maya Angelou is, right? Rest in peace. So, so Dr. Angelou, my favorite quote from her, um, she's a famous poet and author, uh, was, people will forget what you, I'm paraphrasing, people will forget what you said or did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I read that, and I was like, wow, she sounds like a high person, right? But the reality is, someone, the reason this stuck with me is when I left Google.org, someone wrote me a card, and it said those words of, we, you will almost always forget the work that you do with people. Because you'll do so much work in your life, and they'll do so much work in their life, right? But you will never forget the visceral sensation that you feel when you see someone or you hear their name, right? It's like if it's like everyone closes their eyes and you think about, I'm assuming you have a relationship with your mother, in this case, like I do, which is a good one. And I know not everyone does. But if I close my eyes and think about my mother, like I think of good things, right? Like do you evoke that from someone else? So that's number one. Um, the more practical idea of this is uh, who's read Dataclism by the OKCupid founders? 
I know OkCupid's like not cool because it's not Tinder, but <laughs> all right. Do, do we all know? Who knows what OkCupid is? Yes? All right. OkCupid in another universe was like the biggest dating site. Um, so the, uh, the founder of it basically synthesized a decade's worth of data on the platform. And it basically discovered that the profiles that get the most searches, as well as clicks, as well as engagements, were actually not the profiles that got five stars out of five. It was the profiles that got three stars out of five. That's strange. And you think, oh, well, maybe people's tastes on OkCupid are very mediocre, which is why it's not Tinder, right? <laughs> maybe. But it's actually because three stars was the average of five and one. Because they found that the people who actually got the most engagement were the people that were most memorable, not the people who were most attractive. They're the people who, I call it the Kanye effect, but who a lot of people loved, but then a lot of people hated, right? And probably in that case, equal number, right? And so it's the same thing with networking. It's like your goal is not to be impressive. It's to be memorable. It's to make a dent, right? And if you do something great, you will be hated by as many people as those who adore you. It's just the way it works, right? Like look at our political system. It's the easiest example of this, right? Um, is that more useful? All right. Well, I'll ask the next student's question. YouTube is an amazingly diverse environment in which you can find all types of media. For better or worse. <laughs> Upon conception, the concern about negative and or violent media oh. obviously must have been an issue. How was this reconciled or dealt with internally outside of censorship? You uh, meant porn in there, right? There's actually quite a bit of... Can I talk about porn for a second? Is there porn? There's porn. It's like very B-core, but... Um, <laughs> uh, I'll talk about porn in a second. I, 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 I want to sure talk about porn. I, let's do your question easy. first. Let's do your question first. Um, <laughs> So this is outside of my division. So there's a team called Rights Management uh, and uh, Public Policy. It's headed up by a great guy named Ben Renda at YouTube. Um, there are effectively three different mechanisms that YouTube employs to, to try to keep the platform uh, amenable to the masses and safe, especially for those who are underage. Uh, the first is there's the terms of service and community guidelines, which are like the lots of words that no one ever reads but still accepts. Um, so there's that. Uh, two is there is what is known as the classifier. It's codified by audio ID and visual ID. So when you upload anything, YouTube can effectively tell what it is. Uh, if it's copywritten content, they can take it down. If it's certain salacious content, it can get flagged and taken down as well. Um, it's all automated. Um, depending on the severity of the, the content that's uploaded, there's a manual team around the world that speaks, God knows how many languages, 42 languages probably at this point, uh, if not more, uh, who can manually take it down and review it as well. And there's a, there's a corresponding appeals process if it's inadvertently taken taken down. Um, that all said, there's over 120 hours of content at least uploaded to YouTube every minute. It is impossible to perfectly curate everything. And it's not just impossible because of the volume, but because when you deal with certain precarious categories like comedy, like news and gaming in particular, the line between what's salacious and offensive or abrasive and what's acceptable is very, very thin. Right? Um, uh, all the way to the courts is very, very thin. Um, so it's something that, that YouTube debatably does better than anyone in the world because they have the largest corpus of content, both uploaded and distributed so far, until Facebook has them. Um, but, uh, but, but it's also something that no one will ever do perfectly. Um, did I answer your question? Can I tell you a story about porn? All right. Absolutely. This, is this will be valuable. How many of you watch porn? I had a better question. How many of you don't watch porn? Good for you. <laughs> First of all, 1% of the population is allegedly asexual. Some of you will be asexual for a period of time because you break up with someone you don't want any of that. It's fine. We all have our preferences, right? Um, the reason pornography is, is so important and I find so uh, intriguing is for the last... <laughs> I can make a lot of sexual jokes. I won't do that to you because I, I, I respect you. Um, uh, porn has precipitated every major content evolution in the entertainment industry for the last two and a half decades. 
See, they don't understand early internet, gambling, and porn. Yeah. Grow the early internet. So let's credit some, card processing, yeah. porn. Let's give some examples. Um, beta, who knows what Betamax is? Good boy. So Betamax was basically. I'm sorry, I shouldn't identify people by gender. Well done. Uh, <laughs> that was not very woke of me. Um, so uh, I. I Hate that word, by the way. Uh, I'm excited for that to go, just like swag went. Um, so, so Betamax was basically a smaller, dinkier version of the VHS tape. The migration from Betamax to VHS, VHS to DVDs, DVDs to streaming content online, streaming content to paywall content, paywall to microtransactions, like you can buy dildos and lube and so forth, uh, microtransactions to um, uh, interactive multi-viewing, uh, specifically chat, uh, multi-viewing and interactivity to VR. Every single one of those revolutions which guided the entertainment industry since the 1980s was precipitated by pornography. Because we are humans and we are first viscerally moved by desire. And there is no greater, more affected desire than sex. So for those of you who laugh and say, oh, well, porn is salacious and like it's anti-my religion and so forth, you want to know where content is going, you follow porn. Period. Uh, I'll give you another example. Uh, one of the, the principal reason, actually, uh, that uh, broadband connectivity, which is a, an old person's way of talking about the internet, the reason it really, really took off in the Midwest um, uh, was not because people wanted to go on like Lycos and Yahoo News. It was because people wanted their porn, right? And uh, and the and the companies at the time, uh, Turner, or excuse me, uh, Time Warner, and so forth, knew this, and so of course they could charge a premium. So again, the lesson is: you want to see where content is going, or you want a career in media or tech, you follow porn. Cool. But how many people have really seen, like, real VR? Like, there's a company in San Raise your hand. Like, like you think you've seen, like, the legit VR. Not the Samsung cardboard headset. There's a company in town that has been doing it for about 20 years. I mean, they literally, they've got them. They do high-end, super high-end for big corporations for training and things like that. So I got to do this about a week ago. And I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. Believable, and they told me some stories about. We're standing on this big warehouse floor, and there's nothing; it's all solid. You, you, they make you walk over a you know beam that looks like it's like 30 feet, 40 feet above a cement floor. Mm. They said people have like fallen off this imaginary oh, beam, yeah. broken their nose. I mean, it's like it's so real. Yeah. It is so intense. You brain, and the whole time you're telling yourself, "Not real, not real, not real," and your brain's like, "Dude, it looks real." Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight or flight, like we got to get out of here. This is crazy. Yeah, it's coming. Excited, I mean, yeah. it's so powerful. Yeah, I think the challenge is like VR is a similar thing. It's like what, what's the utility, right? I think enterprise side is definitely taking off. Like if you and I were in remote areas, we yep. could communicate more. That's effectively. how they're using it. Yep, exactly. That totally makes sense. Training in medicine totally makes sense. Training in education mm-hmm. makes sense. I think the consumer side is a lot more precarious, not just because they're all sort of you know really expensive devices. Um, I, I think outside of gaming, it's still unclear what VR adoption is going to look like. I think it's going to take probably three to five years. Again, it's partly a hardware issue. It's partly software and content uh, not taking off in a thoughtful way. But it's so powerful. It it's is. Gonna happen. Yeah, it is happening. So yeah. you mentioned gaming. What, what, if you were you know, in this audience and you thought eSports might be a career for you, what, what do you, where do you see eSports going and what advice might you have for a young person? Oh, how many of you like eSports? Oh, cool. come on. Why are you guys shy? <laughs> Don't be shy. You came out of your den once a week. <laughs> Raise your hand. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, so I love gaming. Uh, uh, yeah, man. Like, I, so I, I look at e-gaming in a couple ways. So first of all, it is the largest sports industry that has emerged in the last decade. There's no question. Yep. Um, the 
Yeah, I mean, we all know the stats of how big it is. Uh, there are a lot of things you could do. I think the harder question is, like, what do you want to do in it, right? Um, you can, of course, be a gamer. You can, of course, be a, a spectator or a viewer. Uh, but right now, because the industry is maturing, there's an enterprise-grade ecosystem that's evolving on top of it. So specifically, you could go work at a, what I call an anchor distributor. So if you look at most sports, there's an anchor. It's almost always the game itself. But then, as we all know, there's, like, peripheral services. Like, there's merchandising. There's, like, there's shows and so forth and so on. But again, the game is sort of the heart and soul of it. Mm-hmm. And so... So with, with e-gaming, you could, A, own tournaments, right, as well as uh, arenas, which are now being erected solely for esports, uh, amazingly so. Uh, two is you could go work at anchor platforms like Twitch, which is doing phenomenally mm-hmm. well, um, but it's co-founded that. Um, so that's number one. Mob Crush. Yeah, exactly. And Mob Crush as well in Santa Monica. Um, the second thing you can do is you can, of course, work at the services level. So you can franchise own a team. So one of my buddies owns the biggest team. I forgot what it's called because I'm not a nerd. Um, but uh, I'm kidding. Uh, I just don't remember what it's called. But uh, one of my buddies, Clinton, owns, uh, owns the biggest uh, e-gaming team. So you can do that. Um, you, and, and you can help talent develop them in a way that sort of traditional Hollywood does. You can become a manager, an agent as well, a middle person. Um, and then the final side, and this, this is, I think, more latent, um, but uh, the final side is you can become a service provider as well. Um, so we saw this with the MCNs, but there will increasingly be needs on the platform level, brand level, creator level, and viewer level just to have heightened experiences and utilities. Uh, and those will, for a variety of reasons, not be served by the incumbents. And so you could, you could sort of forge those services. Right. Uh, one example that we saw in the YouTube creator system, for instance, is uh, our analytics sucked. Uh, and so uh, we had a lot of analytics companies emerge, uh, which is important for brands so they can improve tracking, uh, important for creators so they can validate the size of their audience. I like it for young people because, first off, it's a fun, cool, emerging industry. And when, a, when an industry is kind of happening in real time, young people have a much better shot at getting in there. If oh, it's yeah. a mature, yeah. you know, NBA, I mean, good luck becoming a general manager. It's like it's not going to happen. Whereas in esports, you could literally kind of crop, cobble together your own team. Yeah. You could cobble together maybe a bunch of UC students and then, you know, just build on it. Totally. So if you think that might be something you're interested in, like jump into it. I think it's, I think it's going to be yeah. really big. Totally. We'll take one more student question and then I'll, I've got one more close at youtube you got the opportunity to work with creative artists from around the world these creators can be seen as entrepreneurs in their own ways building their youtube channels through their content and their creations what lessons have you learned from these creators that you still use as an entrepreneur today jesus christ i feel like it's like a college entrance exam question uh, (laughs) or entrance question um i'll say this really two things so one is um the people who last in Hollywood, whether it's in traditional or new media, all have three things in common. One is they're actually talented. So how many of you watch YouTube still? Like you, you watch some channel personality regularly. Okay. So how many of you watch that, that entity and think, well, this person's not that talented, but they're kind of there and I already pressed play? Yeah, a couple of you, right? Like a lot of them suck. By the way, most of them suck. Right? I would know. I've seen a lot of them. Right? Um, but the ones that really last, really, really last, uh, meaning not just an audience growth but revenue, are, are genuinely, genuinely talented. Right? They're the Lindsey Sterlings of the world, the Red Links in the world, the Ryan Higgins of the world are genuinely talented. So that's number one. Second, going back to our persistence comment earlier, uh, is commitment. Those who push and sustain are those who last. Yeah. Period. Makes sense. It's tautological, but it makes sense. Right? And then the third piece is timing is everything. Right? Timing and, de- and delivering are everything, but timing is really everything. So most of the people that you see are, are really sort of prolific and, and continue to be prolific on the platform are those who honestly just start out early right, and caught lightning in a bottle. Um, so I'd say, I'd say that's, that's, that's one side of the lesson. The second lesson is um, how many of you want to be famous when you grow up? Be honest. Be honest. All right. That's fine. Don't be ashamed. Having people give you free...
great. <laughs> and sucking your proverbial whatever is great. Um, Finger. Yes. Uh, but um, I lost my train of thought. Now. Sorry. Um, no, but it, look, the, the idea is this: fame and uh, fame and how and being filthy rich are ephemeral. They last for 15 seconds. They, they really do. And 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 it's not a bad thing to have those as aspirations, right? In fact, it's the honest thing to have those aspirations because invariably we all have some semblance of that. The trick is those need to be used as means to an end, right? And I think I think when one does not have one or both you often sort of hyperbolize how great it must be to have all those things, right? Uh, and you don't see the dark side of it. And I, I'd say this is especially true for, um, for digital stars, where digital stars work 18 hours a day. There's no question, at least, right? And you never see it because their lives look so cool and like, so syncopated with like, the, their cool like, hip-hop music. And I sound like an old person now. But like, all, like, it, sound, it seems interesting. Um, but the reality is it's really exhausting, it's really terrifying. They get death threats all the time because they're not Dwayne The Rock Johnson. They don't have bodyguards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, think, I think the lesson there, and this, again, is going to sound like a, something a Zen Asian person would say, but um, like, everything good is equally bad. And, and, and the trick is just understanding what you're willing to sacrifice for and what's really worth it. Um, because it, it is not all rosy pastures of gold uh, being, a, being a superstar. Yeah, I mean, just look at all the rich people that are unhappy, all the famous people that are unhappy. It's not, it is not going to make you happy. I forgot to mention VidCon. So I took my son to VidCon. I wrote a couple articles for VidCon, yes. and I got to meet all. And it was so refreshing, all yeah. these YouTube stars that were so approachable. Yeah. And just they were so happy to be there, and they were so happy to, to get that kind of recognition from their fans. Yeah. So it was that, There's that, like no fourth wall. It's sweet. Yeah, that connection yeah. Was, was amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I want to I end on talking about your current project. We sort of touched upon death and, and your portrayal of death and the importance of, of all of us really having a realistic um, um, you know, th- thoughts around death. So I, I, it, I, I tried to get it right in the intro, and I screwed it up. Catcher in the Rye meets Star Wars. For some reason, I was saying Great Gatsby in my head, and I knew that wasn't oh, right. I hate the Great Gatsby. <laughs> so, so talk to us about, I mean, I know you can't, you know, you haven't launched it, and you've got you to gotta hold a little bit, some of it back, but what, like, what, can, what can we expect as audience members for that, for that new platform? Catcher in the Rye meets Star Wars. You want to make it a generational story that people latch upon. Yeah, so, it's, uh, so this is my childhood dream, uh, uh, and, and the lesson here is it's never too late to be who you might have been. Uh, I wish I was doing this when I was you know, five years ago, but it is what it is. Um, I, I am architecting right now, or have architected, it's nine stories, it'll take 40 years to manifest, uh, and it's cross-platform, cross-format, and it's all about death. So it's a novel, it's a show, it's a bracelet, it's live shows, it's a soundtrack, it's a graphic novel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a universe, right? Um, the closest analog is, is Star Wars, right? Dark or, Tower. Or, or, or Dark Tower-ish. Becoming. Right? Or Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Um, so you like read something, you watch something, you play with it, you listen to it, you can, you can ride the ride. Um, so we're architecting that right now. Uh, it includes over 100 of my celebrity friends. Uh, celebrity is broadly defined. It includes everyone from Grammy Award winners, Oscar winners, uh, Olympic gold medalists, all the way to my buddy who's the Ron Conway of North Korea. Um, to my other, my, well, he's not a friend, but to an acquaintance who uh, rides along the largest bridge in China, which is the site of the most suicides in the world every year, and tries mm. to convince people not to jump. Oh, wow. Um, so he's like literally an angel, uh, and that's all he does. Um, and so, uh, to like cemetery caretakers. Um, so it's, it's celebrity very broadly defined. Um, but I'm really excited about it. Um, hopefully, it doesn't suck. I don't think it does. Um, so, where yeah. are you on that timeline? When is that it something we're going to this year? End of this year. Yeah, it launches end of this year. All right, man, I so look forward to that. Thanks, man. People will be able to look back at this and say, dang it, he talked about the, the next Dark Tower slash Harry Potter slash Catching the Rye slash fill in the blank. 
Hopefully. the next uh, generational thing. I can't wait to see it, man. Thanks. Appreciate Thank it. you so much for coming. Not good. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.